the elite operators who attended Ed Calderon's inaugural class in the U.S. weren't the first people to see value in him as an educator. Ed had spent years on the job protecting the governor of Baja, California, which is the name of the northernmost state in Mexico. It's home to more than 3 million people living in cities like Tijuana. Some of Ed's first so-called students were the family members of the people he was already tasked with protecting, and their need for Ed's knowledge was just as great. I was uh, the head of security for the governor of Baja, California. He was a governor during some of the most uh, dangerous, uh, dangerous and, pro- and pressing times uh, that uh, Tijuana as a, uh, as a city and Baja as a state has ever gone through. Uh, we're hearing currently going through something like that again at the moment. Uh, but he was a, he was a pretty good governor. Uh, he was pretty savvy in how he uh, managed the whole thing. Uh, but there, there was a lot of uh, kidnapping uh, situations happening all throughout the state during, uh, during the initial parts of his uh, government term. In 2006, for the first time ever, President Calderon sent the army into these urban areas. Then last year, 2008, with violence seemingly spiraling out of control in cities like Tijuana, the troop presence was increased even further. And, uh, you know, families would approach him about, hey, do you know anybody that could give us any sort of awareness training, safety training, how to deal with some of these things, how to not uh, be targeted or how to detect some uh, somebody trying to uh, uh, do uh, an abduction on certain family members, things we could do to stay safe. Uh, so, you know, he asked me to go over there and basically give the whole family a, a talk about that, you know. A couple of days of me kind of showing them how they themselves could set up an abduction, <laughs> basically taking them into a point of view. So we would, you, you know, we use one of our guys to, you know, I, I took the family, they. They observed them, they did some notes on them, they, they saw the cars he would drive, and they tried to predict a pattern uh, where he would be predictable that they could abduct him, right? So this is where we would get him. You know, how long did it take, out, uh, to, did it take you to figure that out? Well, you know, probably a few hours or maybe a day. So now think about your own situation and your own uh, you know, daily routine. Where would you be the most at risk for something like this? And you could see the light bulb uh, going on in all their heads. Like, oh, I'm at risk at school, I'm at risk here, I'm at risk there. So maybe vary your uh, your arrival times, uh, maybe uh, take this type of car or buy this type of car instead of the car you're driving currently because that's easier to stop than something like this. Um, this is what you would I would carry on my person if I had to, if I was worrying about this type of situation. Uh, set up a group conversation or a group chat so all of you are aware of where everybody is. Um, introduce them to some GPS, SOS technology, that type of stuff, you know. And it was all in a family setting, and it was all, they, all of them, you could see their eyes uh, kind of figuring out that they themselves could, could do some of this stuff as far as organizing and implementing an abduction situation. But uh, you could transfer that into recognizing some of those same weaknesses in yourself. And that's, I've, always, I've always taken kind of that approach to showing people uh, some of these things. I'd like to put them in the mindset and or in the uh, or on the side of the attacker. Like if I'm going to show somebody how to defend against a knife, 
I like to show them to be the attacker first, just to see what the nature of an ambush with a knife is, and to see how criminals do it. Uh, if you if you learn how to recognize, it, it's not about emulation; it's about recognition. You learn how to recognize some of these things uh, by doing them yourselves. So I took that approach with that family. I, I turned into a very popular individual amongst some of those families, and they, uh, you know, started hiring me. You know, eventually word got around, and you know, when I when I went to the U.S., you know, I already had a few people that were talking about me or about the skill set that I had to share with people. Uh, so, it, you know, there, there there was some sort of expectation already out there for me. Like so many things in Ed's life, his decision to share his knowledge more publicly began with inspiration from his mother. And the first place she took him to teach a class was somewhere they had been together many times when he was a child. Some of the first classes I did uh, were with pressure from my mom. <laughs> uh, uh, there was a, there's a church group that... Uh, that she was a part of, and we would I would go out and you know, uh, hand out uh, food for some of the people that are addicted to heroin and live out in places like the uh, Tijuana River Estuary. Uh, when I started learning about how to you know be a self defense instructor and how to instruct people how to utilize weapons and stuff like that, some of the first public classes I had were with uh, certain women that are of an at-risk nature in places like uh, the uh, Tolerance uh, Zone in Tijuana where the prostitutes uh, uh, stand outside and solicit legally. Uh, through a church group, I, I, I showed them how to defend themselves and how to you know, be safe about what they do. Um, so I started seeing a lot more people need this other than you know, just the, 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 the standard law enforcement only kind of set, setting or the military only type setting. But I was also finding that a lot of these people that I would show these things to that were actually at-risk people, like uh, migrant groups, uh, you know, these women that uh, basically lived a very risky life, they would take those lessons and then come back with lessons uh, of their own, <laughs> of their own that they would share. An example of this, uh, I showed some of these ladies that they couldn't carry around pepper spray. They, they couldn't carry a gun, uh, but they could carry around things like long knitting needles and knives. Um, so some of these ladies basically started improvising these long pointy knitting needles uh, and uh, as, a, as a self-defense a stabbing tool, basically. So they would buy hair extensions and, and make a sheath for their, uh, their for their their long needles inside of a, a hair braid, which I've never seen before, and I thought was the most cool thing <laughs> uh, I've seen uh, that I, I'd seen. And they were like showing me how they would hide them and how they were they they would always kind of keep one hand on their on their hair braid, or if something happened, they would just reach, put their hands uh, uh, over their heads and take out something to defend themselves. Uh, those lessons were provided to me by them. I didn't show them that. And now when I do self-defense classes that are more orientated towards women, I showed them that, like that uh, specific uh, method of caring. Uh, like I, I, did a, I did a class and I had some aid workers, uh, medical aid workers that were going to go do a mission uh, in uh, Africa. And they were like blown away by it. It's like, how did you learn that? <laughs> so, so I had to, you know, had to go into the story of how I showed that to somebody else and how they came back and, 
made it specific uh, to what they were doing. What do these uh, people have in common as far as their lives? You know, one's a uh, one's a Tijuana uh, sex worker, and the other one is a is a uh, uh, facial reconstruct uh, reconstruction specialist doctor who's a female. And uh, what do they both have in common? Survival, uh, risky environments, a need to be self-deficient in, in, in different aspects, including defense. Uh, they're both going to be in an area where authority figures are lacking. They're both going to be in areas where you know they, they might have they might be separated from the group and they might have to you know defend themselves. And uh, you know if you, you go back in history, uh, the the number one anti-rape uh, tool that uh, in women's uh, hands throughout history has always been a small concealed knife, basically. Uh, so when you get kind of right down to it in very desperate places where there's a in very non-permissive environments, you know, the solutions have already shown themselves. Uh, people already know what to do. It's, uh, it's some of the people that live in more sheltered, that live more sheltered lives in more sheltered places that kind of lost touch with that uh, solution that some of these people already came up with. So, you know, basically I just, I just make people remember. Ed wishes more women would show up to his classes because he says they frequently outperform their male peers. And they are often the ones who come back to him with some of the most incredible stories of the real world applications of the techniques he teaches. And more women could show up to some of these classes, which is, uh, is, 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 is uh, to me, it's always amazing uh, seeing some of them show up and, you know, outperform some of the <laughs> some, most of the guys in there with some of the escapology stuff because women tend to be more uh, flexible uh, or, you know, outperform some of the some of the some of the weaponology classes because, you know, some of these women come in with a history of violence. So they have a lot of emotional content behind the uh their performance as far as a, as far as an exercise. So, you know, I think it's empowering seeing some of these people just perform even after the fact that they went through something bad. There's one woman that came to one of the classes. I showed her, I showed, and I show this in most classes, it's basically how to make yourself an escape necklace. Uh, what I mean by escape necklace, <clears throat> it's a, uh, it's uh, two rare earth magnets that basically form a clasp, like uh, something you would see at a at a bead store, uh, and a Kevlar cordage uh, made into a uh, into a loop. You can use that to to create friction and cut yourself free from zip ties or duct tape, or you can even use it to uh, close uh, lock two doors together, two door handles together in an active shooter situation. Uh, you can use it to cut yourself free out of a, you know, a car, uh, and if you can't remove the seatbelt, you can use it as a seatbelt cutter. <clears throat> it has a lot of uses. Um, I showed a lady this uh, this uh, this method, you know, as part of a class, and uh, probably two, almost two years later, uh, she sent me an email about uh, uh, this abusive relationship she just uh, she just had to get out of. Um, boyfriend uh, zip tied her to a toilet um, and uh, left her there for for uh, for a few hours. And uh, she had one of her skate necklaces on that she made herself. You know, 
uh, she took it off and she used that to cut herself free from these uh, heavy-duty industrial zip ties. And uh, she escaped through the window, went through the neighbor's house, uh, grabbed the knife from the kitchen at the neighbor ho- neighbor's house and basically, you know, called 911. 911, can I help you? That That's a prime example of, uh, of uh, how useful this material is. You know, for I mean, is a life skill. Uh, most people think that you know, I show them all the stuff that I show is just oh, this is just in case you get kidnapped by the cartels. Uh, but it, there's you know, there's you, you can apply this to a lot of bad situations. Um, I'll show you how to jam a door utilizing cordage and or uh, teach you how to learn building code so you can know what the safest exits or entries are in an active shooter situation. Uh, do they apply to uh, you know, um, avoiding uh, an abduction situation. Of course they do. Uh, but they also apply to home invasion. They also apply to active shooter scenarios. They they apply to being a tourist somewhere and uh, and having a, having to go through a terrorist attack of some sort. And you need to figure your way out for yourself and your family or how to barricade a door. And all these things, you know, I learned them from a very specific situation, which is cartel uh, violence and the drug war. Uh, but they're applicable in, 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 in a lot of in a lot of situations. Another story came from a, uh, another lady. Uh, she was in a concert uh, setting, uh, and uh, she was all, almost trampled to death. The only thing between her and being able to get out of that trampling uh, situation was uh, two fences held together by three zip ties. Um, and she was smart enough to carry some of the cordage with her as well. So she basically cut her way through a fence with that uh, cordage, uh, cut her way through the, uh, the the three zip ties holding that fence together. And, um, you know, she said she would laugh. She's laughing because everybody looked at her like she was Jason Bourne, you know, doing that. Uh, and she just turned around and just kind of smiled. And obviously everybody that was almost being trampled to death went through that door. And she said, I told her, you're a hero. I mean, I don't know how many, you, you don't realize, you, you just didn't save yourself. You saved probably a lot of people that might have been trampled to death in that, uh, in that setting. We'll return right after this brief break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ed points out that those two women were not elite commandos, but they were able to save their own lives and possibly others by using a fairly common item in an unconventional way. And there's another group he wishes he saw more of at his classes, parents. Uh, One was a dentist and uh, the other was a at-home care nurse, I think. Uh, So yeah, no military background, Uh, just uh, beautiful responsible people that uh, wanted to be better prepared. I always tell this to, especially parents that come to some of these classes, the the greatest expression of love that you can have in this world is 
to try and be capable uh, and to try and be an asset in the lives of the people you love. Um, so by that I mean, you know, people go through some of the medical training that uh, that my group provides, and they show up there and they're like, "Hey, it's, I don't know anything about this," and yeah, but you're you're about to learn. Yeah, I'm nervous. I, I don't, I'm not sure this is for me. Uh, well, you know, uh, go through it, you know. Um, and then, you know, later on, at, I usually do like a debriefing uh, when they go through the exercises. And, you know, one of the exercises we, we did at a one class, uh, people basically had to go through a scenario where there's like a IED explosion in a public space. And, and um, one of the guys going through it had to apply a tourniquet to somebody that was uh, in, in, very, uh, in a very distressed uh, state, basically flailing around. And then uh, after he applied that tourniquet, he had to extract him to a, a waiting car that was going to drive him to a hospital. And after that happened, he would have to go through, uh, he would have to break a, a, a chain on a door utilizing that the lighter method that I showed him uh, because there's a, a Chinese padlock holding that door together. Uh, and uh, when he went into that room, there was somebody handcuffed. Uh, there was somebody handcuffed to uh, a door, so he had to remove the handcuffs and uh, apply uh, a chest a dart to basically a decompression needle because the person was suffering from a tension pneumothorax, uh, which is uh, you know it's when basically when somebody gets a, a puncture in the uh, in through the lungs, there's a change of pressure. And he says, well. Ed, uh, if I'm in a situation like this, I'm going to extract myself and run away. I'm not going to go into harm's way. And I told him, "Well, what if the uh, what if the uh, person that you just put the uh, tourniquet on was your son, and the you no, know, the lady that's in that room over there, that's your daughter." <laughs> you can see the mindset switch, right? Now it's personal. Now it's uh, now I have a vested interest in this, um, and. Uh, you know, he went through the whole thing. You could see the fear shift in his eyes when I gave him the stakes, you know, like, uh, this is family you're saving. He didn't put on his latex gloves to treat that sucking chest wound on the second victim when he switched his mindset to to trying to save a family member. Like, he's not worried about blood anymore, you know, any pathogens that might be in the blood. Uh, you know, Again, I think that there's a software issue with some people that kind of try to avoid or don't want to even think about some of these things. Uh, but, you know, you see cases like that Las Vegas shooting, uh, 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 riot events, you know, uh, that are going on all over the country and seeing people injured and just seeing a bunch of people there that don't know what to do, you know, if something happens. Um also, you know, I added a padlock and a handcuff to the to the whole training, and they're like, "Hey, this is a medical class. Why are why are these things here?" Uh, well, you never know, you know. So I'll always be ready, basically. Um, and you know, there's a certain element of learning how to be comfortable in the uncomfortable that students uh, start to uh, get when they go through multiple layers of the training that that we provide. Um, but uh, that 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 expression of love is pretty powerful to see uh, when you have, you know, maybe a, a, a father-mother group come through a class, learn all these things, and then they, uh, they tell me, hey, uh, do you think, uh, do you think uh, I can show this to my kids? And I, yeah, show this to your kids. 
And then when they're of age, you know, bring them here um, so they can go through this, uh, you know, become, become assets in the lives of the people you love. I mean, that's probably the best advice that people are kind of on the fence as far as any sort of training, you know. Ed isn't necessarily suggesting that people bring their young children to his classes, but he says that almost all of his training is applicable to the next generation, since some of them may be missing out on other basic survival skills, and because the threats they face are also very real. I don't take minors in my classes unless the parents are there, or unless it's a very specific uh, class with parents uh, there. Uh Human trafficking is a real phenomenon uh, and has been real for years in Mexico. And it has a very horrific uh, uh, history in Mexico. It's a very real thing in the U.S. Drug trafficking has been a constant battle on the Mexican border. Now, though, sex trafficking, human trafficking is becoming a growing epidemic. In fact, what's even more disturbing, actually, than drug trafficking is that this involves children. There's a lot of people thinking it's uh, fear mongering or or any or something like that. But I'm, I'm just aware. I'm just too in contact and aware with some of these situations out there because uh, I get questions asked uh, consistently from people out there dealing with the uh, situation directly on the law enforcement side, uh, where they, they look at somebody being tied up in a certain way, and I get questions about that or is this cartel related? That type of stuff. Um, so it's a very real thing. And it's always been a real thing. People being abducted, uh, people being taken. Uh, it's a weird, horrible thing that is part of the realities uh, that we've been facing as a human race uh, since our inception. I think it's never, it's never too early to start learning life skills. Um, and what I mean by life skills is and I, I, have a, I have a kid myself, six years old, and... Carrying a knife as a tool is something that my kid does. It's a small pocket knife. It's nothing too insane. It's just a small pocket knife. And that's how I grew up myself. When I was a kid, I was carrying a pocket knife. <laughs> Members of, of, of the community that I'm a part of see that as weird. You know, you know take her to school and there's a, there's a pocket knife and you know, grab it, put it in my pocket. Uh, or my kid takes it out and starts opening up uh, Christmas presents with it. Uh, I always get the whole, what if your kid gets uh, gets cut with it? Well, that's a, that's, that's a pretty valuable lesson. You know, it's a hard lesson to learn, but most people out there that ever you know, manipulated knives have cut themselves and rarely do you cut yourself the same way twice. If you're, yeah, if you're smart about it. <laughs> um, so one thing I'll say is uh, I'm always looking for ways to provide ex life experiences that could show the realities of, of, of how the world is out there. Uh, not, you know, not full blast, but volunteer with your kids to a soup kitchen uh, and, and to a homeless uh, charity organization and actually go out there and experience how the other half of the, the, the world lives. Um, expose them to some of the realities of people that are at risk and uh, don't have a lot of things. Uh, travel with them, see, so, so they can experience how other people in the world live. 
Um, you know, I, I get the whole sheltering thing. You have your kids grow in a bubble, uh, immunity is going to be an issue. Um, so one thing I tell, I tell a lot of parents that ask me about this, hey, my kid's so-and-so, like, is, she, is it too young? Is it too late? Like, I'm, I'm going through the same learning experience myself as we speak. And uh, you know, make fun activities of, uh, out of uh, awareness training for your kids. As simple as having a clothespin. You got you get a wooden clothespin, put donkey on it. So whoever gets a clothespin is a donkey. That's like a, the, the, uh, the, uh, the fun in it. Or whoever gets that clothespin on them in the end uh, will buy dinner if your kids are, old, uh, uh, are older. You go out with them and you start sne- uh, in a sneaky way putting the clothespin on different members of the family. If you get it, you have to take it off and, 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 and put it on somebody else's shirt or their bag. And uh, the whole, it's a game, you know, you go, you go through this game with your family as you're in a family outing or you're out there, you know, doing something as, as, a, as a group. Uh, by the end of the day, you will have the most paranoid, most uh, aware, aware group of uh, people around you uh, with this clothespin. I mean, everybody's going to be very aware of the distance they keep with each other. Everybody's going to be very aware of other people's hands. And they're not gonna, you know, they're gonna look around a little bit. You know, they're gonna get off the phone. Um, I think that's a that's a pretty interesting, fun way to kind of teach awareness to your to your kids, and and uh, to do it as a family. That's a, that's a pretty cool way of doing it. We live in a generation. I I I was still part of that generation that grew up uh, playing outside. You know. Uh, if you wanted to find where all the neighborhood kids were, you would you would look for the house with all the bikes outside of it, right? Uh, well, you know, growing up and playing a game like hide and seek, uh, kids are actually learning a survival skill. If you think about it, uh, it's a fun game. You know, go and hide. <laughs> Somebody's gonna go try and find you. And there's competitive nature to it, which again, competitive nature is a key word that I think is. We need more of that in, in, in kids' lives. Um, but, the, the, but the fact that they're hiding from somebody is a survival skill. Now, hide and seek, what does that have to do with a survival, as a survival skill? Well, having a kid go run and hide in an active shooter scenario, is a survival, that would be a pretty good skill to have and awareness to have. What are kids learning when they hide? Or they're learning to go low and prone to hide which is also what they get taught in an active shooter scenario to get low and prone. Uh, what are kids learning when they go hide and seek? They're learning, you know, can I keep quiet? You know, can I can I can I be patient enough to to hide and not move from a predator? That was that was that used to be what th- that was for, or an invading uh, group outside of the the, the tribe you were from or whatever. Uh, but it's a missing skill set. That, that kids aren't getting anymore in, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, so why not? Uh, why not kind of revisit some of that? Uh, some of that? Uh, some of those fun ways to, for people to learn survival skills. Uh, also, uh, I grew up in between a city setting and a pig farm setting, so I had to do pig farm chores, <laughs> uh, from cleaning to to butchery. Uh, castration <laughs> so I got to do all that and it was a skill set it was a life experience skill set and I was very young and I didn't realize how abnormal that skill set was 
for people my age until I uh, started comparing notes with some of my peers uh, in Tijuana that didn't have that background and I knew how to do some of these things. Again, I think finding ways for your kids to have life experiences and getting them outside, getting them out of comfort zones and getting them into positions where they can learn through mistakes and being competitive. I think that's what's missing. That's what made me into who I am. Coming up on Alchemy of Violence, the world of Hollywood collides with the cartel villains of Ed's former life. They probably had the raid for him already set up and it probably did coincide, at least surveillance-wise. They knew uh, that somebody was coming and they probably thought it was not a good idea to, to maybe do that operation with a high-level Hollywood celebrity there. One thing to kind of realize is that uh, El Chapo was never and has never been the leader of the Sinaloa cartel. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.